Welcome to Prostate Cancer, The Road to Recovery, hosted by Stage 4 Prostate Cancer Fighter, Jason Stone. Whether you're newly diagnosed, a survivor, or a loved one or someone going through this experience, this podcast offers a lifeline of information and support. Based on real-time experiences, interviews with other fighters and survivors, and discussions with medical professionals, get ready for a raw, educational, and inspiring ride. Now let's join Jason as he shares his path to recovery. Prostate cancer, the road to recovery. Hi, I'm... (laughs) Hi, I'm Jason. And welcome to Prostate Cancer, The Road to Recovery. I am 53 years old. I have prostate cancer that's metastasized to my spine. And on this podcast, we talk about it. Today, I'm here with my brother, Keith. He's out here from Burley, Idaho for the weekend. And uh, we set up this makeshift little uh, interview thing. And we're going to give this a try. So uh, let's just jump in. Let's go ahead and say hi to the guests. Hey, uh, Keith here. I'm Jason's younger brother. And I'm happy to be here and be part of your podcast. All right, let's jump in. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. <laughs> what were your first thoughts on my diagnosis? You know, my, my first thought was probably one of disbelief. You know, there's been a lot of news in the media over the last, particularly three years, of test results that are inaccurate and how accurate are tests. And, you know, some of these things, people are making life-changing decisions and um, over... And I wondered, it must be a misdiagnosis. The test results must be wrong. Get a second opinion on something so drastic. Well, that's the, I went through very, very, very similar thoughts, right? And fortunately, my oncology team, they do that automatically. So he had already sent out uh, my biopsy. My urologist sent out the biopsy. Uh, he gave me the initial diagnosis, but also got a second opinion automatically from uh, some some hospital in Seattle so uh, which is a training hospital which is they tend to be on the the most current treatments and diagnosis and stuff so I felt pretty good about that yeah so I did the next thing that you, you probably did as well as I opened up dr. Google <laughs> went to the computer and dr. Google's the worst don't do dr. Google <laughs> and um, became uh, pretty concerned about some of the words you were using. Um, you know, st- stage four is not a good word. Um, metastasized is not a good word. Prostate cancer for men is not a good word. And uh, started Googling some of that and trying to understand it better because it's not part of, they don't teach men this. Right. That was very, very frustrating is I wish I'd have known this, you know, in 2017 when I got my first PSA result and it turns out it was higher than it should have been, but nobody was concerned and nobody told me anything. And that's frustrating. Yeah. We did, which is why we're kind of doing this. I want to share this information because I shouldn't have learned this way. You shouldn't have learned this way. There's, there's a ton of people out there that have been going through this year after year after year. And I just don't see the pipeline for getting this information out like there should be a class hey you're 40 years old now you got to go take that class you know I, I i was probably like you i did the digital exam when i turned 40 you know it's kind of the um calling card what's the right word uh it, it's but it's part something you have to do when you turn 40 yeah and the result was fine i was expecting some sort of an explanation from the doctor but it, he was told i have the prostate of a 40 year old well that wasn't very comforting 
<laughs> when he used that, that, that phrase. Right. What does that even mean? What, is that, what do those words really mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would have preferred to hear I have the prostate of a 20-year-old. <laughs> exactly. And medical diagnosis, they, they work on averages. You know, so they say if you're within, a, they work on these ranges, maybe is a better word to use. And if you're within this range, then you're normal. But there's a lot of sick people in normal ranges in those things. And so you just become very concerned very quickly. Yeah. One of the things I found is there's a lot of people that are, uh, don't, that have PSA in my range that don't have cancer. And yet I have, you know, it, I was diagnosed at 6.9. That's where I had my biopsy results. And my uh, result, my diagnosis was metastasized prostate cancer, stage four, with a PSA of 6.9. That, so that surprised my urologist. That surprised my radiation oncologist. Every, but there's more people out there in that same thing that have cancer. And then there's also a, a great number of people that don't have cancer. There's people I know now that I've met through this uh, experience that have PSA levels in the 20s, and it's not metastasized. And then I wonder, you know, how high does it go, right? There's guys in the uh, prostate cancer forums on Facebook with PSAs in the 800s, 900s. Uh, one guy got diagnosed, it was in tw- at 1,200. Now, unfortunately, he also had uh, 14, 15 Mets uh, throughout his body. So he's he's in a very challenging situation. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So those numbers are a challenge because they don't tell the whole story. And so with with the number and with the words you were using, um, so the the first thing I did was, was to say the test must be wrong. The second thing I did is look at Google. The third thing, honestly, was... I, I thought, um, I thought, oh my word, where where am I at? Right. What are my numbers? Yep. I always and I sent uh, you, Stuart. Uh, I think Dad, but he's got uh, obviously other issues he's dealing with. Um, but yeah, I'm, you got checked. I can't remember if Stuart got checked. I did. You know, um, uh, using Doctor Google and, and listening to some of your podcasts, I realized some of the risk factors and some of the things that can increase your risk. And um, I think I've talked to you about this before, but um, in in 2020, I was having some health struggles and and realized that um, something was off, something wasn't right. And a caring coworker actually made a comment to me one day in the hall, and they said, "Hey, are you okay?" And we we had a conversation, and I was sharing that with my wife and. I actually took the opportunity to order a uh, uh, an uh, online t- test kit from home. And yeah. I, I did a blood test kit and sent off these different blood samples and found out a number of factors. Uh, one that my um, what's the stress hormone? Oh shoot, I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. Um, anyway, I ordered this uh, this test kit online and it came to the house and I did a blood test and I. Uh, sent it off and got the results back and found out that I had a number of things that were, were wrong. One of them was stress hormone was way too high. Mm. And um, my uh, testosterone at the time was a 40, um, 40 uh, would have been 47-year-old male, I think, uh, then, uh, was, was way too low. And now we're talking about ranges again. And uh, one of the things in that range of uh, testosterone that was, was low was uh, a male that's uh, a, under age of 50, I believe that the range is supposed to be total testosterone of 249 to 836. Okay. That sounds about right. Okay. 
So if you your two thirty nine is the if you're so if you're two thirty nine two forty are you are you healthy are you fine? Uh, don't know. It depends. It's different for every person, just like PSA, right? Different for every person. Um, it's a, it's a range, and there's a lot of sick people on either end or within that spectrum. So. I look at how wide the range is and say, well, I, I want to be somewhere near the near the middle of that. You know, somewhere in the five or six hundreds would be great. I was in the forties. Oh, yikes! This is your testosterone. This was total testosterone. It was very low. Okay. And um, so I uh, realized that I needed to to address. Started using Doctor Google, finding out what the side effects <laughs> long term are of that. Some serious uh, consequences to your health, your organs, your bones. Yeah. So I, I sought out this treatment for that, and I've been doing uh, testosterone replacement therapy since then, and it's been wonderful. It's been really good. It's quite a, uh, a difference right now because I'm on testosterone therapy effectively with my hormone therapy. It's androgen deprivation therapy, which is driving – it's intended to drive my testosterone down to zero. So yeah. I'm going to experience those things you're talking about with – uh, the osteoporosis, the the complete constant fatigue. Oh, I'm already sick of that. Um, and yet, you, and that's what you were experiencing in the 40s. And so you're trying to climb out of that. Uh, but as we know pro- from this, prostate cancer it feeds on the hormone testosterone. Breast cancer feeds on the uh, estrogen it feeds on the 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 female hormones the prostate cancer feeds on the male hormones they're both hormone fueled cancers and so you have to knock that into the dirt to starve the cancer but it comes with those side effects you're describing and so that's frustrating right um you so you have a little experience with how i feel right now (laughs) i did and it was significant enough to make me go and um begin Taking drugs, you know, and using the this replacement, um, this taking replacement drugs. option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I did. I went through that. Um, I went through how much of a struggle that was on a day to day basis. Yep. For example, I was coming home from work every day, and I was sitting in the chair, and I was falling asleep, not closing my eyes because I'm a little tired. I was I was flat out, and I was Just doing that five out. days a week, which isn't good. It's not healthy. I've got things I need to get done, and um, I needed to address that. So I took action to address those things, um, been very happy with the results. And then um, this, this fourth thing that I did in my list of uh, my reactions to your diagnosis is I read, I heard on your podcast about uh, high, you know, this feeds on testosterone. I thought, am I doing something potentially, potentially counterproductive right. to me? Yeah. And Became very worried instantly about that and um, started trying to find articles and research, real articles and real research. And um, I wanted to find out, am I hurting myself with this testosterone replacement therapy when it comes to my prostate? Am I trading one for the other? And I don't want to do that. Uh, Right right now, I'm at the point where I I did the fifth thing and I went and took the the prostate uh, PSA level. I had that checked. Um, 0.6, by the perfect. way. Perfect. Yeah. That is perfect. 0.6 to 0.8, that's right where you want to be. And that's three and a half years into testosterone replacement therapy. That's so, a good sign. So hopefully that's a good sign, yeah. And um, I also tried to find a little articles and research and information. And 
There are uh, both types of information out there when it comes to testosterone replacement therapy. If you're being responsible when you're within normal ranges and not doing something like maybe some bodybuilders or some people who are trying to be extreme are, um, that it's, it's healthy and shouldn't impact your PSA. And really, giving your body a bunch of the hormone testosterone doesn't cause cancer, right? Testosterone's not a cancer-causing hormone. It's just a fuel when you have a cell that turns malignant. Mm. So you have to have a couple different things happen to get cancer. You're, you have to have a cell that's malignant. Your body's ability to heal has to miss it, and it has to start reproducing and eventually it sets up a defense where it makes this small tumor look like not a tumor to the cell to the killer cells to the cells that are rebuilding your body and and making your body healthy and once it gets that foothold and sets up that defensive barrier uh, where it basically hides from the healthy cells, then it's free to grow and free to consume whatever fuel is available. So testosterone's not a cause; it's just a, uh, a cons- it's what it consumes. So you, you're, there's a I've got a bodybuilder friend, uh, Jason Kish. Hey, Jason, who uh, is has a program, he has a regimen, and he intentionally takes testosterone. And his, his dad uh, had prostate cancer. I think he passed from it. Um, and if you have prostate cancer, your family members, your close family members, so like you, uh, my sibling, uh, are four times more likely to get prostate cancer if it's genetic. Now, I had a test. Uh, my doctor does a lot of good tests. I have a fantastic radiation oncologist, Dr. Lewenda, eh? uh, and he did a genetic test. So mine's not genetic. Mine's not, you are not in that four, per, four times higher risk. Um, mine is externally caused. Um, but yeah, testosterone's not the, a cause, it's just what it uses. And you're not at uh, risk. But so what Jason Kish does is he, because he is at risk, it is genetic in his family, and so he take gets blood work done every three months. And in that blood work wow. uh, for his testosterone levels, uh, he gets his PSA checked, and that's fantastic because here he is. He's knowledgeable. He knows the risk, and he's monitoring, and that's what we need to know. That's what when you're 40 years old, you show up for that class. That's what they should tell you is, hey, first assess your risk factors. And then monitor. And here's how you monitor. And then there should be a little questionnaire. And it tells you, should you monitor every five years, every year, every six months, every three months? And a blood test is easy. They stick your arm. They take a little vial of blood. And a few days later, you get the results. So doing that once every three months or a year, uh, I think most men probably a year after you're 40, easy to do. Uh, One of the ideas is in every September, Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, Go get your blood drawn, get a PSA test. But all through this, you were talking about the the emotional challenges, right, which drove you to action. Um, and we are impacted by those emotional challenges. What else has changed for you? So you did all that research. You found out where you're at. Um, you already were on the testosterone replacement therapy. What are you doing different now uh, going forward? Anything? Yeah, good question. A couple things. 
uh, you said different. So in addition to the PSA test that I'm going to make sure I'm getting annually, I, um, I have, I'm talking about it with people. I've talked to people at work about uh, your podcast in particular. Um, out of the blue, I had a couple of friends that ride motorcycles with that said, hey, anybody know of any good podcasts? And so those five guys, I talked about your podcast. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> and um, being more aware, right? So that when something happens, you, you can know, know what it is. But I, uh, I have a little uh, place that I like to work out um, I'm no bodybuilder, probably like your friend, for an ex- for example. He's pretty big. He's, is he pretty he's, big? He's going to compete here in 12 okay. weeks. That's not my goal. <laughs> Started about five years ago in earnest, kind of trying to be more uh, um, consistent about working out. And the goal was a little bit of physique, but uh, as I age, I don't want to lose muscle mass. And it becomes very difficult to maintain muscle mass as you get older, particularly for me at the time with my testosterone was you know almost zero. Yeah. And... So I figured, you know, doing some weightlifting, it, um, it helps alleviate some stress. It helps the bones become stronger, not brittle, because they flex under the weight, and it helps your bones build. It's um, done right with stretching. Uh, it helps your joints. Um, help does a little bit of cardio if you can keep the pace up. So all these are the benefits. So about five years ago, I uh, started working out on a regular basis, and part of that I started using um, protein powder. Mm. So I've used a whey-based protein powder for years, and I'm not bashing whey-based protein powders, but it made me consider um, being a little more uh, judicious about what kind of protein I take in. And um, some months ago, we bought some pea-based protein powder. And I used that uh, last year for probably uh, a course of about four months. And then I've since gone back to the whey, but I'm, I think I'm going to go back to the pea, and I'll tell you why. Go back to the pea. <laughs> Go back to the uh, pea-based protein. Um, uh, I started. I used that last year for about four months, and I was working out very diligently. Um, and uh, and, I, and I have an overlay of all this that I'll explain in just a moment. That's that's very um, difficult to kind of pin down, but I'll talk about that overlay in a moment. In a minute. So I, I was started taking this protein powder. I was working out regularly. Um, uh, I read somewhere that you're supposed to have uh, a gram of protein. Per body, per body uh, of pound. lean body weight, yep. Uh, per, per per day, yep. And I'm 300. If I was lean, I'm going to guess about 245. So taking in 245 grams of protein in a day uh, is a, is a big challenge without supplementation. Yeah, yeah. So take this protein powder, and you know it's anywhere between 24 to 30 grams of protein if you do a single scoop. Anyway, I'm using this protein powder, working out diligently, and I started dropping some weight last year. Um, about two pounds a week. Oh, that's a pretty to one good rate. Week, you know, yeah. and it got down. I was feeling really good. So I did all the natural stuff that a human being does. I started loosening up what I was eating. I started uh, having a dessert a little more here and there. And I switched back to a different type, the whey-based protein powder. And those gains kind of went away. Yep. And I don't know um, what caused it, but I'm willing to try the uh uh, pre You're pea protein say, based. Afraid to say pea now, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's an interesting flavor because it also has microgreens in it. Oh yeah, so it doesn't go down as smooth. It's a little grittier and stuff. But anyway, it doesn't dissolve as easy not either. As well. It's like a sludge in the bottom of my yes. coffee. I have some in my coffee right now. My, oh dear, yeah. my team lasso coffee. <laughs> so I've got this overlay going on. I do pellets. 
I have little dissolving pellets in my hip that I receive every four months um, from a uh, for my testosterone replacement. I don't do the shots. Huh. Okay. For, for several reasons, and I really like the pellets, but there's a cycle. As the pellets uh, are strong and are dissolving well, and they're all there, my testosterone goes up, my energy goes up, my yeah. strength goes up. If I'm going to do a personal best on on a bench press, I want to do it when I'm in that uh, about a month and a half where my testosterone is at its highest. But if I'm at the bottom, I get a little bit of weight gain, about, oh, a pound or two a month. Yep. Um, The strength is certainly down. Energy is way down. I'm actually at that point right now. I I have new pellets coming next week on Wednesday. All right. So this is your low. I'm at the low. Okay. Um, As we were hanging out yesterday, you probably saw me pretty tired. You were sleeping in that chair. Your eyes were closing. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I'm trying to avoid. But but there are what I call these cycles or these ups and downs. And I'm in the trough. I'm in the bottom right now. Um, so, so I don't know exactly where I was when I was having that weight loss with that, with that uh, overlying trough of um, testosterone into, uh, dissolving and intaking in my system. But hmm. um, I'm going to switch to the pea-based protein. It's got the microgreens in it. It doesn't taste terrible. Um, it's healthier for you. And the more, the better, the, the more uh, solid, good nutrition, like the microgreens, uh, a lot of fruits and vegetables, you get those, that nutrition packed into your body you're less hungry. You're you don't you 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 can skip some of those carbs and the and the excess stuff that your body doesn't actually need, but is just burning because it's available. And so yeah, the, that's a good. That sounds like a good plan. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the changes I've been making. So testosterone pellets. I didn't know that was an option. Like, how does that work? I mean, it's if you're not doing shots, how do they get the testosterone pellet into your body? Can I ask where they're putting it? <laughs> yes, I think I mentioned it. It was in my hip. Let me tell you about that. So these are fully dissolvable. Uh, it's, it's not a commercial for the testosterone pellets, you know, but uh, they fully dissolve. They're they're one hundred percent natural, huh. and they use a miniature trocar. They they spray the area. They they clean the area. They spray the area. They numb the area with uh, shots. They create an incision that's about a half of an inch long. Yeah. In in the left or right hip, interchanging back and forth between. Uh, so it's not like a uh, like one of the when I was looking at having to do chemo, they were talking about putting a port into me, and so I would just have this opening into my body available so they could do the chemo. So it's not a port. It's not something that's just built in and you flip open a cap. Pop a pellet in, close it, and push a plunger. Yeah, good question. <laughs> not not a port, not a not a shunt, nothing like that. It's it's an every four months it's its own incision, uh, and they insert this uh, trocar device. Is what the word they use. It's a it's a stainless steel um, t- uh, tube um, that is pushed into place. The pellets are dropped into it, <clears throat> and the pellets are pushed out into the tissue. Yes, yeah, so, um, so this truck car is placed in the initial position. I'm going to use 12 o'clock as an example. And then uh, three or four pellets are pushed in, and then it's uh, rotated to about the 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock position, and some wow. more are pushed in. So it's it's quite um, – it's it's in more of an invasive process than yeah. shots would be. And you chose that over shots. I did. I did. The period between the ups and downs is longer because shots are weekly. 
Oh, that gets tiring to do that. It would be tiring to do it weekly. Um, if I'm traveling at all, I would have to travel with uh, little glass vials and needles, and I don't know understand how all that works with um, having the proper papers and prescriptions on you at all the time. And just, just went with the pellets uh, for for the ease of it. Okay. Oh, I know that's a little off topic, but yeah. uh, that was interesting. I thought that was pretty interesting. And what you're doing, what you're showing is that you're taking care of yourself. Overall, the thing that's changed, and it sounds like you were doing this before my diagnosis, but it's just reinforced what you were doing yeah. and uh, maybe changing some of the things. Because on the whey protein, just one comment on that. I there's a lot of research out there about the dairy and your risks with prostate cancer. It's important to uh, understand and do your own research about how uh, dairy may impact your ability or uh, risk of getting prostate cancer and the aggressiveness of it because they've done a a big test over a lot of years with the tens of thousands of men and there's implications that dairy is not good for men uh, it's a high prostate cancer risk and can make it go aggressive so i've myself i'm also doing the the pea based with the microgreens protein powder but yeah taking care of yourself is the key to being available to support others and uh, yeah we just have to take care of ourselves and help each other understand what that means and how to yeah. do that is we have a lot of family right now going through things, uh, going through health issues. And reaching out to everyone can make us feel thinned out. I know you and Stuart both came out here this weekend to support me. I love you both. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but how do we support so many people without falling apart ourselves? Uh, I won't call out all the names. Of, you know, we got, we got a lot of family going through stuff. How do we show our support there without overdoing it without losing track of ourselves yeah yeah which which is easy to do right um yes i think uh probably three different approaches for me anyway and the first one is technology and that encompasses everything from what you're doing here with with podcast and helping people realize how important this is and spreading the word and spreading your message and um, hopefully helping other people prevent or early diagnose um uh, any kind of illness, but in particular prostate cancer. Yeah. Um, and then uh, just some of the devices where you can talk to people uh, so quickly, you know, face-to-face. Some of the face-to-face type communication devices are, are very useful rather than just an email or just a text message, which, which is is fine too. But all these different methods of technology, I think, are, are one good way to do that. Yeah. We don't get the opportunity to, you know, when we were kids growing up, we used to get together at an aunt and uncle's house there in Richmond over by grandma and grandpa's. Yeah. And I remember us all kids, you know, all the cousins and stuff playing together. And, and that's where the family you would normally communicate and share and uh, help each other out and, and do that sport. And we're all spread out all over the well, world now, right? I got a daughter living in Egypt. There's just, there's people on missions, uh, uh, niece going to Korea. Uh, we have people all over the world, and it gets tough. So, yeah, reaching out with a text or a phone call. I have uh, been in touch with a lot of the aunts and uncles lately, and it's, it's awesome. Uh, my cousin, my cousin Paul, I love you, Paul. Uh, he reached out. Sorry, I get a little choked up on this. He reached out uh, 
pretty early on, and uh, I really appreciated that. I've had some personal hard spots with myself, um, having not having reached out with another cousin that uh, I didn't realize was going through as much as she was, and um, uh, yeah, I, I kind of uh, doesn't matter. I uh, feel bad about not having been there for others when maybe I could have because this this technology is it's not like it's just been around since COVID. It's been around for a while, and I like your idea though. It's it even a simple text or a phone call uh, helps, and that's where if you have family that's going through something, whether it's prostate cancer or something else, uh, don't. Ignore the how small of a guest or how big of a gesture a small thing like a text is. Uh, they they really, I'll tell you as a cancer patient that they really appreciate that. Not everyone will come forward with what they're going through, and some slip through the cracks who could have benefited from reaching out. So the second thing about helping reach out uh, and and uh, without getting burnt out ourselves is um, community. And that means different things to different people. And, and for me, um, that, that, that means uh, particularly two things, three really. One is uh, work. You know, the people we, we work with, uh, we're there with them frequently on a day-to-day basis. So they're, they're part of a community that we probably lean on and speak to the most. Yeah. I'm also um, in a service organization, Lions Club International. I'm in the Burley Lions Club. And I have some close friendships there that uh, people that I've talked to and rely on and confide in. And uh, third is probably uh, the other definition of community for me is church. For, for me, that's an important part of our life. And so we have people there that um, we can rely on, we can call on for help, and um, they'll always step up when, when we need it. So, um, you know, between uh, uh, so b- among family, but also the three things I mentioned. You know, uh, so you know, using using community, um, we can. Um, we, there's more people around us for support, e- even though we don't realize it. There's a lot of people there that are willing to help, and and be part of that and and assist us in our lives. Yeah, and that plays into the the big four things I've learned through this is. Uh, to fight something like this, to to work through it, you have to have uh, diet. You have to have solid good, f- not solid food. You have to have good foods, nutritious foods into your body. You have to have exercise. And it's generally even just a light exercise, some sunlight and some walking every day. Um, and then your mental health has to be good. And that's where what you're talking about plays into it. You have to have a good support network to have a positive attitude. And that positive attitude and support network play into your mental health. And then there's a spiritual piece of that. You have to have a want to, to a will to live. And there's a spiritual piece to that that can look different for everybody. Uh, we all find what works for us, but there is, that is an, an important part of healing. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend that had a whose twin brother went to a was told here in the U.S. that he his cancer, which was just metastasized throughout his body. I mean, it was bad, and he wasn't responding to treatment anymore, and they'd written him off here in the U.S., and he went to a cancer treatment center, uh, the Oasis of Hope in Tijuana, Mexico, and it's a very spiritual-based healing. Uh, They do uh, traditional treatments, a lot of alternative treatment, but it's very, very spiritual-based, and uh, he's 
he's uh, in remission. He's cancer free right now. Oh, good for him. Yeah, but that does play into it. You have to have all those pieces uh, to be healthy. Uh, however, those look to each of us, they're important to have. Yeah. So not everyone will come forward and say, "Hey, I'm going through this." Uh, we have uh, some some people slip through the cracks, and we don't know. We had a I got a guy at work that uh, slipped through the cracks. We'll just say that and recently, and not everyone's going to come forward with what they are going through, and that's tough, right? They slipped through the cracks. Uh, they could have benefited from someone reaching out, and you've been going through something recently. Uh, well, not recently, actually for a number of years, and I didn't realize personally exactly how significant what you were going through was. I remember camping. Uh, I remember seeing you struggle with uh, some back pain. I remember you talking about uh, back pain, but uh, it's easy to chalk that up to, well, I'm getting older, so it's back pain, right? Like I've talked about on the podcast before, a lot of these prostate cancer symptoms look like, hey, I'm just getting old. And that's that, that disguises things. Um, but you started a podcast about what you've been going through. Can you talk about a little about that? Yeah, yeah. Started a podcast about um, back pain and uh, trying to diagnose that and determine if surgery is right for me. And if I'm going to do surgery, what's that going to be like? And if I go through surgery, what the re- recovery is going to be like? And and uh, and the overall long term struggles and benefits from it. So. I did. I had an event. I, I remember the exact moment that I, I um, hurt my back when I um, bulged my disc or ruptured the disc. I don't know which. It was nine years ago. I was doing a service project. I was painting a fence. Um, I'm a very tall person, so I'm not. Uh, How tall are you? I'm six foot seven. Man. <laughs> and uh, I'm not very flexible. And I've always kind of thought maybe my bones outgrew my joints and my muscles, you know, and. Um, uh, but but I, it was first thing in the morning. I hadn't stretched at all, and I was painting a fence. Very cold morning, and I could see at the bottom of the fence, right above the ground, on the right-hand side of the post, it was missing paint. So without adjusting my feet or bending down on a knee or getting squared up to it, I stayed where I was, and I leaned forward, and then I stretched, and I reached, and my back went Oh, and um, it's never been the same since. Never huh? been the same since. Um, so I went through a number of periods trying to figure out what the problem was and how to deal with it and how to how to cope with it. Um, and what happened during that that those several years, probably five years of probably four to five years of learning about what was wrong with my back is I would uh, I hadn't discovered what motion causes the problem. Oh, okay. So I would do something. And uh, for me, it's bending over forward unsupported, brushing my teeth in the sink, washing my face in the oh. sink, helping wash dishes. If I walked over to your sink right now and, and leaned forward, um, not very far, I would feel movement in my lower back and I would um, have one or two results. So some, some nerve pain and some discomfort for a couple of days. Um, or potentially not walking for a couple of days if the vertebrae um, becomes misaligned and moves. Um, I have to typically have chiropractic help to get that back into place. I'll stand up, and I can't stand up straight and look above me. Huh. I feel my hips are out of alignment, and when I walk, one foot will swing and not touch the ground. 
so my, my lower back's out of out of place. And it is a painful um, process to put it back in place. And putting it back in place, it doesn't go back in place and stay and stick. Uh, I'll typically have to have... Um, one time I went to the, the, uh, the chiropractor's office after a couple of days of being in, in, in pain, waiting for an appointment. And he put it back in place. I stood up with instant relief, knew it was back in place, and I put it out getting in the car, in oh, the parking lot. Oh, man. And um, he was busy, didn't have time. I just drove home. And I, it, it was then, though, that I learned how to put it back in place on my own. And the motion I have to do on the floor, crawling around at home, and I'm able to put it back in place. So just about three weeks ago, I was out, and I was able to get it back in myself without having to get in the car, drive somewhere, make an appointment, um, be it be adjusted, and of course they want to adjust everything. I'm not interested in that. I have I have a singular problem, and but I can do it myself. And that's been over about the last four years that I've learned what causes it and how to fix it myself. But I'm very careful. Yeah, you have to be because yeah. you're dealing with your back, and and yeah. you know they people go to college for years to learn how to how to set your back and set do chiropractic work. Um, and so, because it can be, it can have negative consequences. So there's some risk there with what you're doing. Yeah. And, um, uh, so, so I have to be very careful about what I do. And I finally reached a point where it was getting progressively worse. And I know people that have far worse back pain than me. I'm not saying that mine is, is the worst, but mine has been debilitating. I, I put things off that I should otherwise be doing. And I think that's what bothers me the most with spending time with, with kids and, mm-hmm. and my wife. There are, there are activities, there are things to do around, around the house that I can't do with where I'm at currently. And the last nine months in particular, it's become progressively worse where I'm unable to deal with it anymore. And I have to be very careful how I stand up, sit down, can't, can't twist, all these things that you have when you have back pain. So I finally decided I'm going to get an MRI. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. So I uh, made the appointment to go get an MRI and um, show up the day for the, for the MRI, and they take me into the room where the machine is. Of course, you put in the surgical gown and all that stuff, and I see— Does that I've, even go to your waist? <laughs> <laughs> one size does not fit all. <laughs> and um, I see the machine, and I said, is that the tunnel that I have to be in? I wish I knew what oh, size yeah. it was. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Those machines for the MRIs, they're not fun for big guys. So I'm six foot seven. I'm 300 pounds. I don't know what my shoulder-to-shoulder measurement is, um, but he lays me on my back, which is not a good position to be in, but he works very hard, puts a triangle under my knees and you know, support for my head, but still I'm on my back. And he says, you're going to be in there about 45 minutes. Oh, jeez. And he starts to slide me in the machine, and he says, I'll, I'll play your music, all that stuff. You've had MRI. And um, he starts sliding me in the machine, and my shoulders touch the machine. Yep. And he says, well, you're going to have to put your hands above your head. I said, oh. well, explain to me what, what you mean with that. And he said, just put your hands above your head. So I kind of do I kind of do this, you know, like put your hands up. Right. He said, no, you need to put your hands straight up. That cuts off blood circulation to your hands pretty quick. Like your arms go numb after just a minute or so. Not very long. Yeah. 
I threw discus for three years, and I have some some issues with my right shoulder, and I was very worried I was not going to make it through this. Yeah, no kidding. And um, I stuck my arm straight up above my head, had to hold him there, and uh, then he slides me in the machine, and and I said, I I, I can't do this. And he said, oh, your head will be out the other side. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, you're like one of those uh, those wall anchors you're going to put through the wall. You're like, whoop, all right, I'm good. Yep. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I was picturing. I was like, okay, I'm here. My back is bad enough. I'm going to do this. Yeah. So he slides me in the tube. And as the machine is sliding in, I can start to see light above my head. As I'm and as I'm approaching the exit on the other side, yep. And then the table that I'm laying on stops, and he goes, "Okay, we're going to start the machine now." <laughs> he lied to you. He lied to me. <laughs> Maybe the top of my head or or something was out of the machine. No, the top of my head was not out. He just figured you were claustrophobic, and you were going to be at a spot where you wouldn't. You'd be less claustrophobic because you saw. <laughs> You saw the outside world from where you were at. You're like, oh, I can see out. So I've got my hands straight up above my head. Not <laughs> oh, not this, but again, all the way up. Um, the machine is about right here. Yep. Very loud, as you know. Yep. And a lot of people who have legitimate claustrophobia, you know, I, uh, kudos to them for sitting through one. Um, but the position I was in was uncomfortable. Anyway, I, I managed it through. Wow. And um, I, I received the MRI test results back. And I don't know what I felt. I had, I had conflicted feelings when I saw the result of the MRI come back. I saw uh, my, my L5-S1 disc is gone. The, the, the two bones are, are jagged on the edges. Um, I might get you a picture if you, if you want to insert it, you know, just yeah. for, to show. And I've done that on, on my channel. I've shown um, what, what that image looks like. And... It made me, it legitimized to me, you've got something wrong. Yeah. You're not just complaining. You're, you don't just have a mental problem. You physically have a, something wrong with your back. And that was the relief. And then it set in and said, oh, no, you've got something wrong with your back. And this is not <laughs> something you can. Um, I understand completely. Yeah. yeah. I went, through, that was similar to my experience with the prostate cancers. Looking back, uh, when I got my diagnosis, I was looking back like, could I have known this earlier? Oh yeah, I had some discomfort down there. I had this. I had that. I was I was ignoring uh, because if you can't see it, you can ignore it and you can rationalize it and you can put it off because that's not something I want to deal with right now. You're dealing with an actual back issue with possible surgery, uh, surgical intervention, isn't something you wanted to deal with. No. So, yeah, holy no. cow. Back surgery is a big deal. Um, you know, um, our mother went through that very young. Yeah, I remember. Very debilitating, um, very different technology, you know, then. And I think her damage was extensive and things. And um, But but still, everyone says, oh, if you're going to have back surgery, put it off as long as you can. Hmm. So that was a cognizant piece of this nine years. That um, sucks. Yes, and... And and the the help it progressed in the last nine months to the point where I, I did the action that I'm taking now. And as I as I was contemplating getting the MRI, and, and that's when I started my my um, very unwatched uh, YouTube uh, podcast <laughs> as a way for me to just kind of deal with it and um, talk about it. And 
Um, certainly, I'm not the only person that's gone through or worried about back surgery or had uh, results like that. But I thought if I can find a little bit of um, community and support yeah. and just get it off my chest. Why not healthy. share this information? It's therapeutic for you and helpful for others. That's uh, the genesis of this podcast for me is get the information out there. Find out. Yeah. Uh, I'm able to work with other people in similar situations. Uh, if there's a guy. I'm going to call him a friend. Ian, you're my friend. Uh, there's a guy I met in Australia that's about two years exactly ahead of me. So he just went off of hormone therapy. Uh, his situation with uh, prostate cancer was very similar. All his numbers were similar with mine. And through this experience, uh, I've been able to share information, and he's helping me understand what I'm going to be going through. And you're going to be able to find that through your podcast, too. I think we're going to work on uh, maybe doing a little redesign and setting it up as its own uh, podcast with a like a little brand maybe um, but uh, yeah we'll get that out there soon um, yeah anything any other th- last thoughts as we summarize this and wrap this up I appreciate what you're doing because there's other people going through it and they can feel very alone you know mm. you've got uh, you've got family that loves you and you've got uh, really good doctors and um, I think I'm um, uh, an, um, an employer that's that's along for the ride with you, and um, so taking the time and the effort to to put into doing the podcast and um, making it as educational as possible for people, I just want to say thank you because yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I I have a little uh, uh, I don't know survivors survivors guilt's not the right word, but I know we do have other people in the family going through things, and I feel. I feel a, a very overwhelming amount of attention for my issue, mm. and uh, that's I and I know there's others in in similar or worse situations, and so I want to make sure that uh, we're spreading that out to everybody. That hey, everybody needs everybody's support, and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and the key the key things here. Uh, make sure that you are addressing all four aspects, right? Not just the diet and the exercise, but also the community uh, support, your mental health. You have to have a will to and a want to survive whatever you're going through to come through successful. Uh, your back problem, same thing. Yeah. And the spiritual side, don't ignore that. That's, uh, that's extremely important. Everybody benefits from somebody reaching out. If you know somebody going through something, reach out. If you're not sure if somebody's going through something, but they just seem a little off, reach out. Uh, People need that kind of help. Keith, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you uh, participating in this podcast. I really, really uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thank Thank you. you Thanks for the forum to share my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for those listening, uh, appreciate you listening. I love you all. Take care.